Susan Felth, the Citizen Kane of podcasting. Modern man is confronted with so many movies. Which ones are films? And which ones are filth? number 85 it's the movie so depressing jared leto's not the worst thing in it <laughs> yes it's <laughs> Re requiem for a dream uh this is films and filth says in k of podcasting it's supposed to be a goodie here's something uh just we forget about jared leto is in 2000 he actually was the man people thought he was going to be like a prestige actor mm. and he occasionally does yeah. show up something but he started like a dumb band and started sending people cat heads in the mail and yeah, and starting a weird cod or whatever. Do you know if he so, sent heroin to people on this movie? This presence? Probably. <laughs> I heard I heard someone um speaking on a podcast that had worked with him where he played like an office manager or something and he sent everyone nice presents because apparently he sends presents based on what his role in a movie is. So if he's the Joker, watch think, out, you know? But Yeah, we did talk about this like I hate to give the man props, but he does method act in both directions, <laughs> which makes it slightly more acceptable, I suppose. Um, oh, gee, we didn't do our introductions. I guess I'll start. <laughs> juice by Luke, juice by Luke, whoa, juice by Luke. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm juiced. I'm juiced 24-7. <laughs> I won't do that for everyone else. I'm Matt. There's Mark. Uh, Luke ass to Earth ass. I, okay, I was going to take for someone to say that. And that's a great way to bring back uh, Mike Richards from the Mission Log. Or oh, that's, that's my intro, man. I have, I have I've reached new highs, man. That is, that is awesome. <laughs> it's nice uh, to sit yeah, here talking with you guys ass to ass. <laughs> that should have been the tagline on the poster. Uh, uh, well, uh, yeah. They might they might have broken the four million dollar mark uh, domestically had they had that on the poster. I don't know. <laughs> four million domestic. That's wild. Okay. Um, I, it was, I it was like three point seven or something like that domestically. Is all I did. I, I did actually, not see this in the theater, but this is one of the ones that only played at the one art art theater and barely played there. Even I uh, made it to that one art theater and watched it. Um, I think I don't. I I also saw Pie in the theater, so I was. Like excited yeah, to see the follow-up movie from this guy, um, and yeah, this was considered like maybe the. A lot of people thought this was like the best movie that year, you know, or whatever. I I, I will say, as I get older, I think I hate Aronofsky more and more. <laughs> um, me too. This is my experience. I saw it the first time I saw it was on VHS, and I actually laughed the entire time. I laughed hysterically. I laughed my ass off. The second time I watched it, I was like. Oh no! I'm a. <laughs> am I a monster? And then I think I watched it a couple more times. But this time, my takeaway is that I was correct. This is a silly film, and I was right to laugh at it the entire time. <laughs> in the beginning, <laughs> um, a good film, but a silly film. the The amount of despair takes it to silly to a silly level. I believe that it's just as silly as much as Forrest Gump is ridiculously optimistic and silly in the other direction. 
This is like the opposite of Forrest Gump. It's like Mug Cest Roth. <laughs> is this your first time watching this, or did the cool kids have to watch it in high school? No, uh, my my history with this film is the um the soundtrack to this movie was used everywhere on the internet when I was growing up um, because it was re-orchestrated for the trailer for Two Towers. Um, so my only knowledge of this film was it's the film where that really epic piece of music came from. So finally sitting down and watching this film and seeing that music used for just two guys rolling a TV across town. <laughs> I'm, I'm with Mark. This film is laughable. I think this film was a joke and it bored the piss out of me. <laughs> <laughs> this film belongs on oral hygiene because this is basically um, reefer madness. Maybe that's yeah. why I liked it so much in that's, 2000. <laughs> well, that's exactly it, is that um, my friend Phil, who's guested on our podcast a few times, said to me, I don't know, we were it briefly came up about a year ago, and he said, yeah, it's just basically a drug scare film. And I was like, damn it, you're right. It's just a drug scare. It's just the highest budget drug scare film ever made, basically. Mm -hmm. Well, just just before we started recording, I was eating my apple for breakfast. Of I don't know why I need to add that detail, but I was thinking, like, you know, if, well, Sarah Goldfarb is is yeah, she's not going anywhere good after this. I mean, like the rest of them, eh, five years in the future, maybe they're giving inspirational speeches um, to high schoolers or something. I don't know. Actually, Aronofsky went on record saying that Tyrone is the only one who had a chance of getting his life back. So the other ones are officially canonically fucked. What does he know? Yeah, what does he know? Clearly nothing. <laughs> yeah, he didn't even write the novel. I I do, for the record, hate it when directors kind of tell you how to interpret their work. Like I, I yeah. really, that's a real bugaboo of mine. Like uh, the movie Enter the Void, which traumatized me horribly. The director is like, uh, no, nothing. Ha he doesn't go to the afterlife. He's just just dead at the end because there's no there's no afterlife, and like. That yeah, that movie's bleak enough already. About the guy telling you like, nah, he's dead. He's gone. He doesn't exist. Uh, Mike, this was your request. Is it you'd seen it before and wanted to talk about it, or is it? I, I you know I movie. saw this movie on probably sort of first run cable TV. You know HBO, Showtime, something like that. You know maybe in two thousand two thousand one, and was was sort of taken aback by. Um, Sarah's like over the top New York accent that you could tell was a little bit fake. Um, the the overly, um, uh, the, the 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 quick descent into madness, you know, and addiction by everybody. Um, so honestly, when when this movie was on the list, I didn't know if it was film or film. I didn't know if you plucked this off of the top hundred or the bottom hundred. I was surprised when we chatted a couple of weeks ago that you said no, this is one of the good ones. Um, having said that, I, I rewatched it today, and um, I think twenty years ago, I was probably in some form of denial about how old I was even then. Uh, <laughs> Uh, relating myself more to like the you know Joe Connolly uh, Tyrone you know group. Now I'm watching it as uh, more of like an Ellen Burstyn, if you will. Um, you know my my kids are uh, you know off to college. Uh, her her speech um, about why the red dress was important, why she's doing this when when Harry first. Uh, 
suspected or knew, I think, that his mom was getting addicted to these pills. You know, her, her speech about being lonely, about needing something to look forward to, um, about remembering how her husband looked at her back then. I mean, that that resonated in a way that I, I did not, not, you know, for, you know, resonate for me. I wasn't even on the same page at all, you know, 23 years ago when this when this film came out. So um, I definitely enjoyed it a lot more. I think it did some interesting things cinematically. And uh, I think some interesting things with uh, with the cut shots and it had something like, I don't know, five to 10 times as many edits as a normal, you know, hour and 40, which is the proper length of the film, Matthew. Thank you for putting that in your notes. Um, <laughs> you know, it had it had many, many more edits than that. So I I came away from it sort of on the other end of the spectrum that I think this was an hour and 40 well spent, um, you know, and I can, I'm, you know, talk more about that later when we get into it. But I, I think it was, I, I enjoyed it. I, I got something out of it. Okay. Yeah. I guess that's the difference because like, I did notice the incredible editing and stuff. Like, well, that's well, incredible. The incredible in terms of there's a lot of it. Uh, well, but because I didn't get much out of this film, I just found that like cringe. <laughs> well, this is basically, um, Arnofsky, it, I, I know I've talked recently about the uh, the phenomenon of the music video guy who directs the film. Those are usually on the mm. bad list. Um, he was intentionally trying to edit it like a hip hop video of and hip hop in 2000 is obviously different than what we know today. But he intentionally just did like two 2000 shots in this film, which sometimes like. The part where they had the fantasy about taking the cop's gun and playing catch with it was so ridiculously cringe to me because it was just like, <laughs> I don't know. But um, yeah, it was at least a different thing, even though he was coming at it from the other perspective. The other thing is, is there is a film called Perfect Blue. Who's familiar with Perfect Blue? Oh, I, I'm aware of it. It's an anime, right? Satoshi Khan's Perfect Blue. Uh, which came in out in 1997. Uh, Der Derek Aronofsky bought the rights to a live action remake of Perfect Blue just so he could steal shots from it. And uh, Black Swan arguably is just a ripoff of Perfect Blue, even though Perfect Blue wasn't the most original film ever made, but it was like a groundbreaking anime and that it was an anime that was basically a, like a regular film, but but a mm. little weird. Um. But uh, anyway, so the, that is another thing where <laughs> he was at least you could argue about whether any of that stuff is cool or if it's stupid. But he was at least he knew what he was trying to do, at least. And uh, the, uh, I mean, specifically, I mean, and I think there was a lot of from from what I read, like you like you said, Mark, uh, sort of generic encroachment of the other film in this film. But I think specifically the bathtub scene was was kind of a shot for shot yes. remake. And and the the shot of Jennifer Connolly's head underwater for that long was so to me reminiscent of an anime still, uh, mm -hmm. like an anime yes. still shot or, or cell, that it was I, I think it was hauntingly beautiful when you have somebody who's on, on one side they've got enough of their brain left to know how immensely fucked they are um and also don't know how to get they're going to get out of it um 
you know, no, they can't, they can't like get out of the spiral. Can't believe what they just did. It was like, I, think I thought it was very. Maybe you've hit the nail on why I, why I didn't click with this film because I just, I never believe that's the case. It, um, you could a film um... this, like Mark was saying, a film this utterly hopeless and pessimistic is just laughable to me because that's not real life. It is sort of a thing where the the characters are the characters are likable, but they're also kind of paper thin. Like yeah, I don't think it gave me enough. It didn't make me like the characters enough in the first half to make me care when their life went bad. Um, and then it just went to a point of like, oh, their life's shit and ends. I think a more interesting yeah. film would have started where this film ended. Yeah, and um, and it's it's like I believe that. I believe that the motivations that these characters that have. That point yeah, I believe that Jennifer Connelly wants to be just wants to be loved, and, and uh, Marlon Wayans wants to be with his mom, and all, all that other stuff. But it's it's like that's all those characters are. Yeah, you know, it's like I don't I don't feel like the, I feel like it's like the casting call says this is uh this is marion she has rich parents you know it's like almost like the casting call is the entire character like mm. the, the the blurb you get at the t top but so that said there's some great acting here and that's another oh, yeah. part of why i really enjoy it is because it's a lot of people just constantly screaming which and uh <laughs> you so know Luke, i like, yeah, you like the uh, the actor is... who did end up getting the award is definitely the one who deserves it because um mm -hmm. she was and also, I, th I guess because we saw her whole journey from being, yeah, you know, a sensible, upstanding member of society to going through this terrible ordeal, whereas we kind of meet the others, they're already addicts, and we just see them become slightly, you know, more depressed addicts. Let me bop in a uh, little summary, so in case people aren't following the horrible trajectory of these folks. Harry Marion and Tyrone are living the dream dealing heroin in order to open a clothing store and escape the low-income bracket. Meanwhile, Harry's mom, Sarah, lives alone and dreams of an upcoming invitation to be on TV. To prepare, she sees a doctor and begins taking trucker speed diet pills. Tyrone loses his heroin connection in a gangland assassination, and Harry has to bail him out of jail with the last of their funds. With their connections drying up, Harry and Tyrone drive to Florida while Marion begins doing sex work for drugs back in Brooklyn. Sarah becomes demented from amphetamine use and ends up institutionalized. Harry's arm, infected from heroin use, has to be amputated while Tyrone ends up in a grueling racist southern prison work camp while experiencing heroin withdrawal. It's the feel-good movie of 2000. All right. Um, I, I good summary. I mean, that's that's that that definitely hits all the high points. Um, where we're talking about the acting, I think Ellen Burstyn was nominated for an Academy Award for this, and I think she probably mm. won some other, you know, lesser awards. I did not see any nominations. Um, Mark, did you for Jennifer Connelly? I thought her acting was phenomenal in this in this film. I'm going to take a wild guess and guess because she had a sex scene in it and the Academy did uh, just cross their, cross their name off. I don't know if that's right, but also they probably be. just, they wouldn't, they wouldn't have given them both the nod. 
also, I mean, yeah, she's maybe. just she's always really good in our retired bit of a movie. She was like the only good thing about it, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I so I remember that she that Ellen Burstyn had actually won the award. So am I misremembering well, that? She did. Effect. Well, she did. Um, the the scene where she does the speech that Mike was talking about earlier, like you see the camera shake a little bit. She did make the cinematographer cry. And then Aronofsky decided that uh, to go ahead and use that take. Yeah, this is like a, a you know, singular career defining performance for her. So uh, she has won an Academy Award. So if it wasn't for this, it was for something else. Stupid IMDb won't pop up a window that tells me what she won for. Yeah, okay. I got You're... three windows that are loading and they're not loading. <laughs> I have some accolades here. Yeah. Nominated for Best Actress Academy Awards. Did not win. Uh, yeah. I'm looking at a whole bunch of awards that don't seem to mean anything. Oh, yeah. She won the Academy Award in 1975 for Scorsese's Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. Um, but she's oh. an Oscar, Emmy, and Tony winning actor. So, yeah, no wonder she's very good in this. I was nominated for The Exorcist. Like, that's got to be... I, I didn't even know people got nominated for horror movies in the 70s. That's That's the whole reason the Saturn Awards came to be in 1972. Huh. Well. Oh. Because nobody got nominated for sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and they uh, they said we want our own award show. You know, the, the, the Exorcist, she got thrown into a table and her back broken or something like that, right? That's part of the the curse of the Exorcist. Something like that. She got out, something broken anyway. I only worked out, despite their extremely different ages. I only worked out about three months ago that Ellen Burstyn and Ellen Barkin are two different people. Wow. <laughs> I, I was watching Oceans whichever one she's in 13 i guess and i was like wait a minute she couldn't have also been a requiem for a dream i mean ellen ellen barkin was in that weird movie where she like turned into a guy but then it got all serious towards the end i can't remember what that was called switch was that it weird film Uh... it's one it's sort of like hancock where the premise is kind of wacky and they decided that they really need to make it serious at the end Okay. Even though Hancock is like the worst 80s. movie because yeah, Hancock say, that's, is that's the, the worst movie I've, I've ever seen. Oh, the first yeah, half of Hancock's great. Yeah, so, but <laughs> the end of it. <laughs> what when I remember watching this, thinking like at the time, like my, my first viewing, like oh my god, is is shock therapy still a thing? Like is that is that a thing? So I actually looked into it a little bit. And it's become more nuanced, more refined. It's they use less voltage or less amperage. They, they, they uh, impart the shock for a, a shorter amount of time. You do need to um, give consent. So I thought that scene where she, you know, signed consent for that was was realistic, uh, or not maybe not was accurate. You know, a nice detail. But I was surprised that even in you know, the large part of the world, including the United States, that there are thousands and thousands of cases of where this is still being used. Well, it did it like just being in line with the movie being kind of thin, I guess, is how I described it. It did really feel like they just tried barely tried anything before they went to the shocking. I don't know how long that time frame was, but it felt like it, <laughs> it probably took place over a couple of hours. But well, as we know, as I, we know it was still winter because we never got to spring, Mark. Yeah, I, I just oh. I was in the I was in the hospital, <laughs> man. 
I was in the hospital for a week with fluids hooked up to me and didn't eat anything for a week. So, I mean, maybe I didn't need as much fluids as she did, but it was, um, it struck me as they just really wanted to rush to the shock just to make things extra sad, extra shocking mm -hmm. and shocking. Yeah. Yes, and the shocking, way literally I read about it too, it's, it wasn't, you know, put a piece of wood in your mouth and, and strap you down. It's like, it's like these micro, you know, yeah. kind of, kind of like, micro impulses that you get uh that get administered also interesting when i found out the, that the novel was written in 1978 i thought okay maybe that was more i don't know if this would have worked better as a period piece or not i don't it is though i don't know it apparently is a period piece it's supposed to take place in the 80s and we don't get we don't get a clear picture of that but you know nobody has a cell phone in this movie 2000 mm. in the in 2000 people sometimes had cell phones <sighs> And there's no cell phones in this. The TVs are That's old. So. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's so a, I you, but I just sat there looking at it. And, but what I did notice was the car that, um, that Tyrone was driving had a very late seventies, early eighties, like, like air conditioning panel that he used when he set, when he set the air conditioning for that. So that's that's interesting. That that all, man, that all fits right in. Yeah, yeah. And so he's a period piece, like ramming it down our throat with like music and stuff. Yeah, but yeah, this I guess yeah, this film, everything in this film could have taken place in that period. The best period piece I've ever seen is. There is a horror sequel that only tells you at the end that is actually takes place before the first movie. And I don't want to tell you what it is, but if you're listening, you probably know if you know what it is, then you're probably laughing because it is a great bit. Um, <laughs> but um, what do you guys think about? Um, obviously, this came about way before social media. What do you guys think about the idea of someone being desperate to be on TV? <laughs> um, I, I believe it. Like the entire um, reality TV industry, right, is fueled on that. I feel so like I don't want to be on TV, and I I feel like I want to be successful without anyone knowing who, but not without anybody knowing who I am, but without a lot of people knowing who I am. And I definitely do not like it when I'm at a party and someone just takes a picture without saying anything, and it's a terrible angle. Oh, see, I, yeah, I, I, I do kind of like the idea of people knowing who I am, yeah, no, and I, I have no you. sense of shame. So, yeah, <laughs> it, it's, yeah, it's not, you know, it's not that I don't want it. I, you know, what I'm trying to say it's like there's a certain level of intru intrusiveness, and also, I, my modern sensibility is just that I know that game shows don't let you keep the prizes, and or whatever you have to pay taxes on the prizes, so you give the car away. Um, all that stuff is fake. Whatever the juice doesn't do anything. Um, <laughs> did you guys know that the that there was a third thing that was the rule in the game show that was never stated, and the original yeah. uh, the original thing in the script was no pharmaceuticals, and the producers of this film said we don't want that in the film because it might make pharmaceutical companies think that we're targeting them. So then Aronofsky <laughs> changed it to no orgasms, and it ended up just getting cut for time. But apparently, if you look at some special features, you can see the no orgasms part. So it was, it was no sugar, no refined sugar, no red meat, 
no, no or something else. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I think leaving it blank is probably better, but yeah. Um, no, but Darren Aronofsky said but, that canonically it's. <laughs> it's pharmaceuticals. Yeah, but, it should be pharmaceuticals. I that like would be so much, much pharmaceuticals. Better. And then she just yeah. she always like tapped out before the end of the show, so she never got the third role. She didn't actually like show that. Well, I mean show. that her whole story is the story of drugs for me and not drugs for thee, right? <laughs> it's like yeah, she probably is like, oh, don't worry, I'm not taking pharmaceuticals. I'm just taking these pills. Like that's the whole problem. Like that's that's the real tragedy here. I mean, I guess doing heroin and messing your life up is a tragedy but at least they're actively participating in it no i remember uh 2005 2006 going to doctors and for several different things in america and always being given the same you know like um whatever they give you vicodin or whatever and a few years later it's like yeah now we have uh, an epidemic uh, epidemic of that because doctors have been giving these things out like like candy you know I didn't. Yeah. Well, now, it, by the way, I kind of got the idea. Uh-huh. I took the first one. I was like, "Ooh, no, don't like." And uh, pretty much, yeah, I get prescribed and not use them. Well, I try to avoid this stuff, but it's also now it's like pulling teeth to get anything if you need it. Like when I was in the hospital, I was like, "Please," I had to specifically call and request morphine every twelve hours. Hydrocodone. Maybe that's what it was. I don't remember. It was like fifteen yeah. years ago or whatever, but. But, you know, I needed the morphine at that time. And then when I got out of the hospital, I stopped taking the morphine. It was or whatever the hell they put me on after that. I think oxycodone after that. But, um, but you know, what do they know? Maybe I, for all they know, maybe I'm out in the, out in the street doing drugs the whole time, out, the whole time I've been gone out of the hospital. So, uh, yeah, it, I mean, it's scary to go to, you know, who you've been trained your whole life to think as a, a medical professional that has your best interests at heart, you know, and you find out they don't. You know, um, that, that woman had oh. no idea that these pills were bad for her. Um, yeah, you know, she was desperate to achieve a goal. Yeah. But like, and... even for America, this is a cynical look at this. And um, the, the guy who played the pharmacist said that his only stage direction for this film was not to look at Ellen Burstyn. And he said it was one of the hardest things he ever had to do. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, that's like it's it all plays into it being ridiculously dark to the point that it made me laugh so uh you know i, I guess we should shout out um christopher mcdonald as being the the only fun performance in this movie uh kind of the uh, i think 2099 was a great sweet spot for like insane motivational speakers you got uh also tom cruise and mccauley yeah. of course so i, I guess he's more yeah. game shows than motivational speaker but he's in a, he's a gray area i think so I, I well, do my, remember, like, com- not conflating, but um, resonating between the two performances uh, back in two thousand. Well, much like um the guys in the Love Guru, he improvised almost everything in this and uh, got a standing ovation at the end. They think he, they did all they record all of his bits in like a day or something like that. Yeah, and and a little nice. Star Trek in it. She played uh, Lieutenant Richard Castillo in uh, Yesterday's Enterprise, one of the best episodes yes. of that series. Yeah. Mm. I'm told. I don't know. Uh, we we have to say that because we're friends with the guy who wrote it. <laughs> it's really it's really good. I think when I I think when I first saw it when it came on, I'd never seen Tasha Yar because I started watching after she was written off the show. Mm. Still a great episode. Yeah. Yeah. I, anyway, I, saw, I got really confused when I was eight years old and and watched the episode on live TV where she gets killed. Though I do remember that because you know like. Because it was not like a, a great puddle. episode, but it, yeah, it did. It was a nice shock because 
you know, in the 80s, when you're a kid, you're not really expecting one of the main characters to just get whacked like that. Yeah. Have you Who built your yesterday's like? Enterprise yet, Matt? Maybe not. <laughs> I knew the answer was no, don't worry. <laughs> mm. He'll get around to buying building yesterday's Enterprise tomorrow, and then it'll be Too just late. in time. No, <laughs> all right, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> it did. So, uh, um, Go ahead. I was just oh, saying, just, like, while well, we're shouting out minor role actors, the um, the guy they sell the TV to, um, who's uh, like a Bad. nice, yeah, it's Hector from Breaking Bad, mm -hmm. playing like just a, a nice old man here. <laughs> Hector Salamanca. Yeah. yeah. It was oh, Tim when I saw his name in the cast, I noticed his last name. His last name is Margulis, which mm -hmm. is. The same as Julianne Margaret, if they're related or not. I mean, there's obviously quite a bit of uh, Hollywood connective tissue between, you know, actors. Uh, um, but I didn't know if they were related or not. But I was surprised when I pulled up his face that it was Hector Salamanca. Yeah, I, w I was similar. I was like, oh, I recognize that guy. Why do I recognize that guy? I thought I'd seen him in Spider Man mm -hmm. or something. And then it's like, oh. Hector. Another minor role, I guess. One of Sarah's friends was uh, Louise Lasser, who, um, well, now it sounds weird just to say something like she was married to Woody Allen for four years in the 60s and appeared in his earlier funnier movies, which, well, you know, uh, make what you will of Woody Allen, but uh, those were pretty good movies. Not her fault. Not her fault. Although, Probably. She did, she did divorce him. <laughs> Oh, he was, uh, yeah, Mark Margolis is not related to Julianne Mar Margolis. He was also, he played the Pope in End of Days. <laughs> like, oh, what? Wow. <laughs> I don't yeah. remember that at all. <laughs> I don't remember the Pope even being oh. in that film. <laughs> um, it'd be cool if Schwarzenegger just, like, went to the Pope and just grabbed him and threw him through a window. And then, Probably yeah. does. <laughs> I wish. Does anybody know, were they able to use the music via a public domain i mean that's i would imagine that from, from this yeah or, like, oh do you mean like in the future uh, i think that chronos quartet just made a ton of money because no no i mean because Requ requiem for a dream was what mozart or you know one of the other classical I, composers i thought this music was made for this film okay it's i should like have done my research is the name of the song like i don't know as as a classical dork, uh, most most I'm composers say, are just supposed to make their own requiems. So I don't think there's a requiem for a yeah, dream, but I was going to say Berlioz has you know Berlioz, Brahms. Gotcha. Mozart, yeah, there are a number. They, of they've requiems. all got the requiems. See, well, the okay. phrase "requiem for a dream" does not strike me as that like that era. That doesn't sound like the parlance of that time at all. Like it would be requiem right. in C or something like that. Like maybe you yeah. might get something called requiem for a dream and like. 1850 or after that but not right uh, but i do you guys think that the dream that the requiem is for is the american dream i well i, sure, I kind of thought of it as heavy-handed <laughs> <laughs> wow you know that's that's really that's really big picture matt uh, mark i was looking at um you got these four people and they each have their own thing right like harry and and uh 
um, Marion want to open this dress store and, you know, Tyrone wants to make his mom proud and, and Sarah wants to be on TV. So they all, they all have this dream and, and how to, the way they set about attaining it caused obviously more, more harm than any good they would ever get out of, out of, you know, achieving that. Um, or maybe just, maybe not more harm. It, it caused them more harm. Than, yeah. than they ever were able to 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 recoup later on, um, as far as we know. So I think that was it. Was sort of the requiem for their dream. But that man, your your take on was it a requiem for the American dream? I man, I I think I think you're right. That's what my high school essay would say. Thank you. I'll <laughs> take it. <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's just sort of how I feel. Is that but yeah, I interpret it more as. As like like Captain Mike saying the individual dreams, right? Like they it's, had this dream, but they follow drugs. She had this dream, but she followed drugs. But also, the thing is that there is more dreaming going on in this film than there is action, because mm. it feels like every time that uh, Tyrone and what, what was Jared Leto's character Harry? Harry. Harry 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 and Tyrone every time they were planning stuff, it felt like they were barely doing any actual thinking through of anything. Mm-hmm. And Sarah was obviously not really thinking straight at all. But the part where I thought it was very poignant, the part where the, the scene in the middle that Aronofsky considers her the centerpiece, which makes sense when Harry goes to talk to Sarah and he's like, what's the deal with the dress? Like, just get another mm-hmm. dress. Just get, I mean, you know, I it's easy for me to just criticize what movie characters do in a sad movie because <laughs> that wouldn't be very interesting if she's like oh i'll just get another dress at the end how but, it should have but... <laughs> exactly but i i think that a lot of this is that uh in america so much is put on like magical thinking like you're supposed mm-hmm. to go for the gold to dream big Shoot for the moon find... you're allowed among the stars or that sort of thing. yeah I, live I, laugh love yeah, i mean I just, then I just... it doesn't work like you can't just dream big if you're a poor person and then everything works out just fine if you dream too big and don't and and just you know let your whatever let your dreams just take you down the street to the weird grocery store where he's buying heroin out of the dock somehow is that where do you get your heroin oh um trader joe's (laughs) you got a murder kroger wouldn't it be a murder kroger (laughs) No, Murder Kroger's nice now. I don't think anybody's even died there since they rebuilt it. I don't know. Yet. I changed the name. I mean, I did. I just go, go to... out every year and get loads of Halloween candy. And then I just save all the drugs that they've hidden inside the candy. <laughs> that, <laughs> exactly. That, that red dress was her, I think, wanting to go back in time, right? Obviously. Yeah, uh-huh. she the logical like, mind it's, would be. It's the dress your father liked, right? Is the line. What's part of the dream? And she you know, isn't super loud about it, but obviously a couple of times when she's hallucinating she's like and my son harry and my grandchild and my husband and you know there's obviously no grandchild right. and no husband even though probably like harry and marion could have just shacked up and lived normally if they weren't so into heroin like they, i felt like they had a pretty good chance at least living a lower middle class regular ass life I, but oh, one of the things that that did grab me in this in this movie and it was it was in some ways laughable. And I think it was one of the reasons why the first time I saw it, I, I, I didn't really get it. Um, 
but now I'm just sort of curious um, how to, to, to talk to somebody about this movie from an addict's point of view, from a recovering addict's point of view, mm. like what, like, what are the hallucinations? Like, what are the, what, like, what can you say about the psychosis? Like, like how realistic, if at all, is Christopher McDonald, some showgirls and some other people, you know, doing a conga, conga line around you in your living room. How realistic, if at all, is that refrigerator uh, iconography that was going on? Um, like, I, I don't know. I have done the stuff you buy at gas stations to keep truckers awake a few times. I cannot imagine hallucinating the refrigerator coming after me. Those are, I, I don't, I don't know. If, I've never, obviously never been like that far gone. I have no idea what that's like. Uh, I certainly have, I've, I've um, had eating problems, but I've certainly haven't coupled them with diet pills. It's more like I exercised too much, did too much cardio. So uh, I don't, I don't, don't, it doesn't seem realistic. Uh, hallucinations in film are usually wildly unrealistic. I think realistic hallucinations are like midsummer. Um, for me, I guess maybe trying to make it look realistic can be a cinematic flaw. Like, you know, maybe the real thing doesn't look as cool as it does in this movie. And I, I was sitting here thinking uh, that for me, I guess this whole American dream thing, maybe even too, um, a movie that's not on our list. But I think in 2000, I would have thought this is a better movie. But now I think all that jazz is probably the better movie. I've only seen it once, but I've I'm watched Fossey, Roy Scheider. Yeah, I've watched the final 15 minutes of it like 20 times. Uh, if you haven't seen the movie, he's in a hospital dying. And just as he's taking his final death rattle, he has this insane musical number hallucination around his hospital bed, which completely unrealistic. But, uh, you know, for me, that's huh. like very effective. And with this insane yeah, they... num musical number, too. So, yeah. The four of us talked about singing in the rain, which has an unrealistic. I mean, it's a dream and not a hallucination at the end. That that wacky modern musical number that never would have happened in, you know, nineteen thirty forty, whenever that was supposed mm. to take place. But but yeah, I, I agree that usually realistic hallucinations would be incredibly subtle, and in most cases, people probably would not do those things it's much more fun to have like the the evil chair eating you and the refrigerator coming after you it's more that's another thing that makes the movie silly but also you know scary enough and, and i'll throw this out there because i you know I, I i read the credits i you know kind of canceled the next uh autoplay thing and read through the credits and i saw something i had never seen before uh refrigerator puppeteer yeah, that was a uh, credited uh, credited crew member. The most awesome I bet, credit. I bet Pee Wee Herman had one. Did that kind of, didn't that kind of remind you of Pee Wee's Playhouse? That scene, that entire scene. It was just like evil Pee Wee's Playhouse. <laughs> like if no one had cleaned his playhouse in like two years and had been left abandoned for a while and, you know, Cherry ate several of the puppets. Yep, Exactly. I mean, maybe if Pee Wee, maybe if Pee Wee had just kept doing the show after he'd been canceled and then got in a lot of trouble and then really stopped eating. Now, Pee Wee is a good, <laughs> a stellar human being and would never let his playhouse turn into this. 
Never. Um, house. In response to your yeah. question, Mike, I started looking up, is Requiem for a Dream accurate? And I found an article written by someone who has never done drugs saying, oh, it's it's such a great film because it shows how the real danger of addiction, it doesn't have a Hollywood happy ending like most other crap films. And then I re- wrote a film, written, I found an article written by an actual like, drug addict which says, hate to be the one to tell you, but Requiem for a Dream is a bad movie. <laughs> but is it can can it still serve as a warning though over like like over just like any kind of obsession over a over a goal? I think right, it like, can, like, but I, I just think it's like I just think it's a very shallow warning. I can speak secondhand at least that I've known people who have done heroin, and most of the, I mean, the only person I know, the only friend I have who's died as far as i know was a direct result of heroin was because the guy that she was with was afraid to call the cops when she started overdosing mm. i don't know of anybody ending up in just um there is a friend of a friend of a friend who was something like gave drugs to someone and then she died and i think it was the same thing where he was afraid to call the cops so she basically like could have been saved but died and he went to jail for that but that's still, you know what happened? The guy got out of jail and uh, had a big reunion for his big popular band. So <laughs> I, I, this still seems, you know, the most of the people I know who have died from drugs have been like fentanyl-laced cocaine, which I don't think people would have really Im- imagined in 2000 so much. Right. But, um, but yeah, this it does not match with most people I know who have done heroin stop doing heroin and they're just regular now as yeah. far as i know right like i said just just say you have like whatever whatever you know young couple you know whatever dreams they may have um is it is it likely is it is it a cautionary tale that a don't get sidetracked you know keep keep the end goal in mind you know, don't, uh, you know, don't, don't let other things, you know, get in the way of that, but also don't let the ends justify the means. Don't, don't do these horrible things with the goal of opening up a dress shop in Soho. Um, you know, is there any, you know, I, th- I think there's maybe some, you know, and the drugs are just a metaphor for, you know, doing things that are self-destructive when you are because you know it's it's make it or bust right it's i'm gonna make it no matter the cost well this is the cost and the cost was too high i think that that is true and that is what it's a metaphor for i'm gonna rip off um something from thy her another podcast say usually when they're criticizing the stories of video games is that's a very that's a simple card that's that's sugar that's nothing like yeah, okay, that's a good message, but like we said, I got that message from a 20-minute, you know, 70s short movie about don't do drugs. I don't think it's a top 100 films of all time masterpiece message. <laughs> yeah, and also, I mean, obviously this is a part of the conversation on how the film has aged, but most people now don't think like that. You don't... People... Not only can people carve their own lane out in today's world, but also people... I think people are more kind of hip to the trap that you can fall in 
saying like, I'm going to succeed no matter what, because you probably won't. And also you're probably, you can succeed and still fall into a trap of just paying too much rent and not making enough money. Mm-hmm. Just doing, minding your own business will kill you a lot. You don't even need heroin. You don't need drugs in a lot of cases. And indeed, you know, drinking, even drinking is way down for younger people now. I don't know about drugs specifically, but people aren't drinking. They aren't fucking probably not shooting up as much these days, but um, it's good. I wouldn't know. I'm not a, I'm not a young person. It's because they I, shoot I'm, not, I'm not young even people. a young person anymore. I'm young. Yeah, I shoot up all the time. Yeah. <laughs> but don't we think that maybe it's because they showed this movie to young people? Yeah. No, no, this this worked. Worked. It just did it. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> That's it. Darren Aronofsky saved the world. <laughs> Which is, I mean, forgive me for bringing you know, this up you're too right. often. This film should be on the top <laughs> list. It's the most important film of all time. I mean, it's capitalism, right? Eventually, doing drugs was going to get too expensive. And, you yeah. know what? God, the media is still free. You can get stuck on that. I mean, God, I'd almost rather do drugs than be on social media, but you know, <laughs> I'd rather I'd rather be on social media than be on the Juice show. What was that thing called? What was the the game show called? Timmy Juice, Squeeze Timmy Juice. Juice, yeah, Titty yeah. Juice, Lemon. Juice the Weasel. <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyway, uh, yeah, I, it's um, but. You know, there. I like the split screen stuff and the the colorful, the the general colorfulness of the film and the 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 quick cuts makes it at least a. It's sort of like maybe Rise of Skywalker, where it's technically proficient, but it's a lot of empty calories in there and kind of mm-hmm. paper thin characters, and maybe some people have the force that shouldn't have the force. So I would have had and, my uh, film classes in 1998 and 1999. So I would have been like, just like all over like the editing when I saw this the first time. That's probably one of the reasons yeah. I absolutely loved it. Uh, when I, mean, I saw it. It's a really fun. It's funny thing for me. It's been very amusing to me that go wa- revisiting this and uh, eternal sunshine of the spotless mind back to back, because mm. now I definitely think that's a better film, but I kind of like this film better visually where I think that I had the opposite feeling uh, 20 years ago. But but it's I never thought I would be on this podcast saying that that was a better film than this. Like, never. Hmm. Well, you uh, know, one of the visual aspects I noticed in the movie was, you know, the last number of years, we, we kind of got this selfie stick cam, you know, where you see somebody's face, like just on their face with all the crazy action in the background while they're, you know, static in the camera. And this did that obviously before selfie sticks but it was an effect that it may go back 50 years i don't know i just i noticed there was it some thought, really wow that's tracking that, shots for sure yeah you see you that know, the scene the scene i really um noticed is when she went in the elevator and like it followed her in turned around followed her back out that was like a shot you would get in a video game more so than you would get with like imagining doing it with actual actors and a camera well, this is in a way, this is one of the first, I don't know, you call it modern films, films, since it's kind of the first director that I that I know of to take to take 
so much influence from anime that he bought the rights to an anime so that he could yeah. use shots <laughs> from it. And also trying to trying to make something look like a music video rather than being a music video guy who wants to make the jump to film. Mm. Um, there's a I mean, there's a case that there's there is like a jump here, but it also came a year after the Matrix where the Matrix was very clearly influenced by a lot of video games and uh, anime and kung fu and also to me a much better film than this but that's not even really on the table that's of course i this never would have zero said, kung fu yeah i never would have said this was better than matrix absolutely <laughs> not but, uh is is perfect blue worth watching yeah we might we might be watching that Spoilers. yeah that that we might, might be, be watching that yo it might be if I, if we can't get the tear the, the day the clown cried, then I'm going with perfect blue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, Mike, you said you came in not knowing if this was going to be film or filth. So, how, how what, where do you fall in the end on this one? You know, I don't think it's a top 100 film by by any stretch of the imagination, but it's probably at least one percent better than you know, top of the bell curve, you know, it's probably of, of all movies ever made. I would say it's probably slightly above average. Um, and I did, if nothing, if nothing else, and I've never been a Jennifer Connelly fan, like just, uh, I, you're not nothing against her. On this podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he was Mark you know, Matt's sexual awakening. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, I mean, I mean, I thought she was phenomenal yeah. in this movie and, um, you know, j- just just for that performance and the performance of Ellen Burstyn, um, Jared Leto was annoying. I thought I think uh, Marlon Wayans was was very good, was uh, was very good um, too. Um, but yeah, j- just if nothing else for Jennifer Connelly's performance, I think this movie's worth visiting. And I don't mean the party scene or anything like that. I just mean her, like her. I mean her acting. I mean, do we want to talk about how this movie sort of suggests that sex work? is as bad as getting your arm cut off or getting beaten by racists mm. or, or electroshock uh, yeah another i kind of feel I like i don't the sensibilities yeah. have evolved since this film came out uh-huh and and also yeah. Aronofsky said that he based that scene on something he saw at a party once if i went to a party like that i wouldn't like it share that with the world <laughs> absolutely <laughs> not um also it's worth pointing out that this is the first film in the jennifer connelly on it at the end of a pier at the end of the film trilogy <laughs> which uh that happens again at the end of dark city and house of sand and fog so um so she got typecast wow. is what you're saying you might you might get one of those from me someday some year and it's not <laughs> house of sand and fog yeah <laughs> for me i guess uh, yeah obvious like this is a film like when i saw us in the year 2000, 21 year old, been taking some film classes. This actually might have been in my top 100 in the year 2000. Watching mm. it now, I haven't seen it in quite some time. I still, I, I still think it's a pretty good movie. I like it less, but now I feel bad about liking it. Okay. <laughs> I, I would, um, if anybody wants something that's like this film but better, I would like to suggest Bo is Afraid from last year. It, Ari Aster directed it. Um, it's three hours long, so I am not making anyone watch that for this podcast, but. It is basically you're just watching this terrified man go through life and all the worst things happen to him constantly. But it is a comedy. So Mm. and it's deliberately a comedy, but it's played very dry. So 
to me it's much more enjoyable than this and it's like he never he never does anything specifically wrong like shoot heroin but um it to me the the paranoia in that film is makes for great comedy that is supposed to be funny um, if you only got 20 minutes i'll, I'll throw out that last 20 minutes of all that jazz again <laughs> i kind of want to watch that actually that's on my yes, list do. of things i want to watch it i don't remember I swear to god my parents took me to see that movie when i was like 10 and i've not seen it since but i just remember going like what in the actual hell am i am i sitting through you're sitting through a, a, a man who wears black leather jack leather vest and invented jazz hands <laughs> well, i um i want to um as for my rating i want to say that this is possibly the closest i'll ever that i will ever see a film as 50 percent film 50 percent filth this to me is the razor's edge center film right flimeth <laughs> i'll go ahead and say it this film was filth i didn't like it <laughs> <laughs> I I, oh, yeah. I totally get what everyone else has said. For me, I I it's not even an I hate Aronofsky thing because I really like the Fountain, but the Fountain the character learned something at the end that I could take away as a member of the audience. Mm. Whereas this film, I was like, what I learned from this film was heroin was bad. Guess what? I knew that going in. <laughs> like <laughs> I, I I do seriously think that Black Swan is a much better film than this. But and Black Black's as... won like won all the awards, right? Yeah, I, I think that's it. Is Black Swan on our list? I don't. I don't think so. Think so. That surprises but... me that that one's not on this one. Is but I don't think it's as good as Perfect Blue, and kind of not as good as Persona, which is a film that kind of gave birth to all that stuff, which is a Bergman film from like 1960, I think. Um, um which it is at. At. 8.0 so not on the list wow. sorry black swan sorry black swan you're like, out of here <laughs> <laughs> so i have a few one-star reviews if anyone wants them um sure one of them is dated 25 july 2001 and the title is not as bad as pearl harbor i don't really <laughs> want, i don't i don't really want to read that one in full i just thought it was like Entertainingly uh, dated. Oh, and also, while not as bad uh, as Train Spotting. So, is that will they rate it uh, stars? They still rate it nose stars. Okay. I I will say that I sort of disliked Train Spotting from the jump for the same reasons as this film, and uh, I have not watched it in a very long time, and I'm curious if it has aged better than this film. But it is rated lower at eight point one. Hmm. Um, here's a full review I'll read for you, which is pure rubbish. Mm -hmm. Malicite. The one-liner says it all. This is one of the most terrible and disturbing things I've ever seen on screen. I cannot bring myself to finish the movie. Well, you can't write a review then. Uh, if you're looking for something <laughs> uplifting or life-ordering, this is not the film. But if you want to see a bunch of loser junkies sticking needles in their arms and having sex, try downtown Toronto. But if you don't want to leave the house to do any of that, try this film. I use the term lightly. Oh, he gives his real name. It's Howard. 13 out of 35 found this review helpful. Can I do one? I found one that I thought might be pretty good, but I'd, I'd only glazed it. Um, die, junkie. Die, die. This is truly the most tedious, boring, trite. I'm oh, sorry. This is from 2001. 
Angela Riley, also a real name. This is truly the most tedious, boring, trite, contrived, and uninspired film I have ever had the most misfortune to sit through. It was so boring that I wanted to walk out of the cinema after the first hour. My companion almost fell asleep. I felt nothing for the characters who were not really established as rounded, believable people. Some of the visual tricks were repeated constantly and lost all novelty or interest after the first hour. At that point, the direction of the plot also became utterly predictable, and it just felt so horrendously repetitious. I felt like getting up and shouting at the screen. Die, junkie, die, die. Again, I'm going to deduct a point for putting that the title in the review. Uh, I want to get out of here, but I didn't want to disturb the other patrons. Slight spoiler, I was also very offended the way ec teacher all right this is just going on forever it's going on forever okay but it's all in all it ends with all in all i can honestly say this is the worst film i've ever seen is there a defense of this film in the fact that i'm watching it in 2023 when everyone knows that sort of drug addicts are victims of a disease and actually maybe humanizing them in this way was a big deal in 2000 i'm going to see if there is a recent-ish review. Most important uh, film Because a lot of these seem to be like, well, these guys are junkies. They deserve everything they get, sort of attitude. One that says it's a tearjerker. One that says it's ugly and emotional. I I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't feel like there's any meat on those. Uh, Actually very accurate. As a recovering heroin addict myself, I assure you that the depiction of junkie life in this movie is very accurate. I don't know what research Arnofsky did, but he got it right. Junkie life Really is like this, sent into madness, deprivation, where at the end nothing matters except where the next tour will happen. This is a brave filmmaker to show what it's really like to be an addict. I don't know if I believe this person, but if they are, then, you know, <laughs> because it sounds like a review that is on the back of the box. But You don't you know. just believe internet? But yeah, because that's or... also, I <laughs> found the one that was saying that, and then I sort of scrolled down and looked at the writer and, mm. like, read their background. And I was like, oh, okay, they have no credentials, and then found the one that was a guy with credentials and said the opposite. So yeah, uh, I don't they, know if I believe that or not. They, I've, uh, I've got a short article on, on the dream and how it held up at 20 years old. And I was just going to read the last paragraph. Uh, sure. But this is from, this is from the guardian in uh, 2020. Two decades on Requiem for a dream doesn't look especially cool, but then it never really did. Rather, it's numbing, slightly sick-in-your-mouth power remains undiminished, as does the hard-driving impact of Aronofsky's filmmaking. It set the pace for filmography marked by earnest, grandiose outrageousness from the ludicrous, ravishing romantic folly of The Fountain through to the magnificent, unapologetically narcissistic artist's self-diagnosis of his recent mother. As someone born close to the year 2000, then I... then I'd like to say Requiem for a Dream didn't have to go so hard, but I'm kind of glad it did. Yeah. Okay. Modern, I, modern view. Um, I want to, I want also that I was going to say the guy who, who said he was a heroin addict has only reviewed a few more things. He likes Star Trek, strange new worlds. He likes old people's home for four-year-olds. He likes inside out. He likes Battlestar Galactica and he likes American God's house on the rock. Okay, Sure. <laughs> I, w- I want to scroll back just a bit to the first review you read, Mark. Um, have mm-hmm. you guys actually walked out of a movie before? Yes, Resident Evil, whatever the fifth one was, the fourth. Okay. The, the one that came out in 2009, I walked out of that one. Mike? I've never walked out of a film. In a theater. I mean, the people put DVD on, I've walked out, obviously. I walked out of Ocean's 12, the, the first, obviously, sequel to Ocean's 11. 
And I walked out of um, the talented Mr. Ripley. Now, I've I've been told that, I I don't know if I was just in a a mood that night or what, but I've I've been told since then that I I missed out and I ought to revisit it. And I think I will at some point. I've been told that that's... Oh, sorry, go ahead, Matt. I said I like Ocean's 12, but it is a weird, incoherent road trip of a movie. The the funny thing is that I saw Ocean's 12 on a plane, so it's one of those things where it's like the only the only time I've ever forcefully turned a movie off on a plane was like the Ghost in the Shell live action, where I was like, I'm not doing this. Anyway, I, I, I had to give up watching Gran Turismo on a plane last month. <laughs> I That looks very bad. It's, I, I, it's literally a two-hour PlayStation advert. Yeah. It was it's it's as bad as the wizard. I couldn't believe they were putting this <laughs> out in this day and age. I walked. They could have at least made driver. it. What? I walked out. Taxi what? driver. Did you walk out right at the part where she walked out of the porn movie for? A Did you have to go for a piss or to catch a bus? Class. Yeah, I was. Oh. I was. I was working at the university union. I actually went to tear tickets, and I was like, "I'll just see the first half of the class." So actually, I really didn't want to leave the movie theater because I hadn't <laughs> seen Taxi Driver before, but I had to walk oh, out man. of Taxi Driver. Well, I've seen it. I finished it since. <laughs> so such a crime that's not on the list. Such a crime. We'll have to cover it when we get to Joker because insane. Yeah, we should. Look, yeah, that is that is one of my top like just off the list it's annoying sort of ones yeah you should have just put it on the list you could have done that yeah i wouldn't have known <laughs> no, none of if i found out you'd done that and you did it with jurassic park then i would have unfriended you <laughs> <laughs> um any final thoughts i guess we can wrap this one up don't do drugs kids dream. and the dream most important film of the 21st uh, century ass to ass is not a crime hmm <laughs> There's a T-shirt that Mercy saw in a store and really wanted to buy, but just said "legalize eating ass." <laughs> <laughs> I, there was some Instagram video where a guy was just just had had films like kids in China wearing shirts that had English, extremely vulgar English stuff. Mm-hmm. I think one of them had something like that. But it's it so funny. A, a dad came to pick up a kid from work once with a T-shirt that just said "fucking city." <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah. So uh if I'm correct and I checked the list, I I um think this is our Valentine's Day episode. Um <laughs> no. oh, Mike, love want... story about two Mike... kids trying to make their dreams come true. Mike, you want to plug yeah. anything for Valentine's Day? <laughs> Just yeah, I want to uh, plug no, your mom. You know, uh <laughs> Marion and Harry are not the ideal couple. Uh they they had some potential, but uh they let their they uh they let the way they lived their day-to-day lives uh get in the way of and trample their dreams. So if you have a dream, if you have a goal, don't uh it's just as important on how you live your day-to-day life than ultimately achieving that goal. To the journey. Well said. Although I was uh, giving you the opportunity for some same shameless self promotion, if you want to. Hey. Oh, I thought you've been plugging for the movie. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, uh, Mission Law of the Orville, hanging hanging out there with doing some stuff with the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Uh, you guys can uh, find us at patreon.com slash mission log if you want to support that program. Um, Jessica and I just worked the red carpet a couple of days ago at the 51st annual Saturn Awards, which was kind of cool. 
uh, from the Orville, Bruce Boxleitner was there. So we had a chance to talk with him. And that was that was a really I, I, I really enjoyed that interview. Very easy man to talk to. Uh, very sincere. Um, and then we just chatted with some other people. Believe it or not, I had a chance to talk to uh, Nicholas Cage and um, and James Cameron. Both got to interview both oh, of them. Sick. So uh, oh, as well yeah. as uh, Melissa Navia, Jerry Ryan uh, from Star Trek. And then it was just such a such a flood of people coming down this red carpet that you can kind of catch some people, but as you're talking to some, you would, you would miss some others, but, uh, uh, Rebecca De Mornay, we chatted with her, uh, Heather Graham chatted with Michael Truco, uh, from Battlestar, the aforementioned Battlestar Galactica and the big bang theory. So kind of, kind of a, a neat list of people we got to chat with. And we're going to start to, you know, put some of those interviews, uh, which I, which I, I think the way it is going to work out, it'll probably either, yeah, be like short form, um, you know, posts on social media that we'll uh, share those with. But uh, it was it was a really, really interesting experience and um, never thought I'd be face to face with, you know, Nicolas Cage or, or James Cameron. Um, funny story, though, I, I introduced him. I was like, folks, we got James Cameron needs no introduction. Uh, my name is Mike Richards, Roddenberry Entertainment. And I just kind of turned to him. I was like, nice to meet you, sir. And he was like, oh, no, we've we, we've met before. And I was like, don't, don't contradict James Cameron. <laughs> yes, sir. I was like, great. Yeah. <laughs> we, yeah you could have played it off like you're a big Oh, you know, I meet a lot of people. I can't remember everyone, you know. Yeah. James like Cameron, just, who's just what a sincere. For me, this is Tuesday, you know. You know? <laughs> yeah, just sincere, creative. Um, you know, when he was talking about the Saturn Awards, he was like, look, they were nominating my films when the Academy wouldn't even look at them, you know, the Academy of Motion Pictures. So, you know, Terminator and and uh, Aliens and things like that. And he goes, it was the Saturn Awards that that recognized the work. And he was like, we're up for 14 nominations. These guys have been, you know, great my whole career. It's like, I've, I've got to show up. You know, I'm going to continue to show up. And that was that was really impressive, I thought, that that amount of loyalty that he had and, and just how generous he was with his time. So, um, yeah, amazing experience. And, and look for some of those things to kind of leak out on the social outlets uh, coming forward in the next couple of weeks. Awesome. I, mean, I love James Cameron. He's my favorite. Yeah, so this podcast cool. stands Avatar 2. I mean, Avatar The Way of Water, if say that say his name. Uh, no, I, I'm From where I'm sat, I can see a little figurine of Navi riding a, a thing. Yep. Did you get a Navi baby yet? No. <laughs> Put those up on what? the internet if you dare. Oh. <laughs> Are those in like the skill cranes there? No, they're like no, no, no. They're uh, like two thousand dollar artisanal creations that are very disturbing looking. <laughs> you know what? We stand those two. I don't care. <laughs> no, you gotta be serious if you want a Navi baby. Well, if you want a Navi baby, then for one thing, if you're listening to this and you're an executive, please renew the Orville because I would also like to see more of that. But what else you can do is go to patreon.com slash podcastiopodcastius. Uh, find deleted scenes of audio and also uh, check out all of our fine podcasts such as podcast 1999 loot loves pokemon game uh, game show disney no i didn't mm-hmm. i recorded a different podcast this morning that's why i'm getting confused <laughs> wait is this is this part of the eternal sunshine bit where your memory is wiped no it's because i recorded a zelda podcast and finished it like five minutes before we started this one <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, I'm legitimately man. confused. I was like, wait, yeah. I just did the plugs. I'm like, wait, no, I didn't. <laughs> I have no <laughs> idea what it's like to record these at 6.30 a.m. or 8.30 a.m. because it's nighttime over here. But uh, Legal disclaimer, yes. joining our Patreon will not get you a Navi baby. No Navi babies, but you can also listen to Hyrule Field Report. If you, and... if you subscribe to the Patreon for $10 a month, I will buy a generic baby doll and paint it blue and mail it to you. <laughs> All right. You New heard Patreon that. Patreon tier. New tier. All right. Speaking of tears, do not cry into your heroin tonight. Should we all get into like fetal positions now down the podcast? Yep. <laughs> no one can see that. Okay. I'm borderline in a fetal position anyway. <laughs> I, I, I can't get anywhere close to a fetal <laughs> position, guys. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs>